0: Hello and welcome to That Tech Show, the show that reveals the magicians behind the magic that is everyday technology. Today on the show we have Antonia Walt and Antonia is an old colleague of mine actually when I worked at Anne Digital, a web development consultancy based in London. Antonia is an inspiring lady. She is the executive sponsor at what they call the And She Can movement, which is an initiative run by And Digital. And She Can is building a roots movement in inspiring females to pursue a career in tech. On this episode, we talk about her history in tech consultancy, as well as a dating app that she had an idea for, the Tinder before Tinder. We talk about her travels in Southeast Asia and how we can all work a little bit smarter. And finally, we get into the weeds of how the And she Can movement is looking to solve the problem of diversity in the workplace. So without further ado, here is Antonia Walt.
1: My name is Antonia Walt. I'm a club executive at And Digital for one of our London-based clubs. I've got a background and passion in products. So effectively helping companies to leverage technology to meet the needs of their customers. And I'm also a mother of an increasingly naughty two-year-old.
2: Great. Well, thank you for joining. Thank you for joining. Uh, Sam, you had an initial question you wanted to start
0: with. Yeah, so we've worked together and I didn't, hadn't really thought about your name. And it's quite an unusual name, I think. Is it Italian? Like, where is it from?
1: Oh, there is actually a story behind it. And sadly, I am not Italian. I am plain old English. But Uh um, my mother actually had a a daughter, uh, not a daughter. My mother had a sister who was uh, born and called Tony Ann. And she sadly died when my mum was really young. So I got called Antonia and that's where it came from. So
0: it's actually a made made up name sort of thing?
1: No, not at all. No, it's not a made up name. Lots of Antonia's out there. I often get (laughs) confused for Antonio, which is, I would say, my number one pet peeve. Uh, yeah. Which I, actually, Sam, I think you did when you shared with me the, the folder you called me Antonio. Uh, but I, I had a thought.
0: I had I, like <laughs> I was making my chicken nuggets for lunch, and I was thinking Antonio, but that's not your name. It's Antonio. And then I just it, I you know I was bored, so I was just think I just thought about your name.
2: I would also say, from having been doing some editing of our uh, of our admin spaces, it's not the first time that Sam has uh, put an O instead of an A.
0: Actually, um, really. Yeah, it's dyslexia. But see, they they don't look anything alike. But I'll. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I'm going to go on mute now. Chris, you do the interview. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's I mean, and that's 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 quite a nice uh, way, I
2: suppose, of, of starting with a, a tribute there to your uh, to to your mother's sister or your aunt, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I got that wrong, didn't I? It was my mother's. No, it was my sister. You're right. Sorry, aunt. Your mother's sister. It is my aunt. Yeah. My yes. mother's sister. So my aunt, exactly. That's my nice. aunt, who I sadly never met.
2: Well, that's nice. Sad, but nice. Um. So, I mean, tell us, you, we, we've got plenty of, of things for us to talk about today, but how did you get involved in technology? You know, what? how did your career start?
1: Yeah, it sort of uh, quite a generic one mixed with some interesting bits, but I started out um, working for a consultancy originally. And a lot of the work that we were doing was more back office systems. Mm -hmm. And actually, I I didn't enjoy that one bit. So IT to me (laughs) in the beginning was very dull and boring. Uh, But I got put on a project working in a very famous high street shop where they were just integrating technology into their, their stores, figuring out what that meant for all the different brands across the shop floor. And I started to really find that bit interesting where you could actually see and touch and feel the difference that technology can make to different experiences. So that sparked my interest in technology more generally. And at the time, I think I'd been in London single for about six years, struggling to find uh, any suitable partners. And I started to uh, develop an app called Match My Mates, which I claim was Tinder before Tinder. Um, <laughs> and I did I did quite a lot of work actually to um, pitch it as an idea to various sort of investors. And sadly, it didn't go anywhere, but it did lead me to be introduced to the founder of the app business, which is the first tech company I worked in. And they were one of the fastest growing mobile agencies founded by two guys who worked with Steve Jobs to launch the app store back in the day. So that was sort of my segue from Consultancy into real products and and digital really.
2: Oh wow! So in terms of well, getting that time timeline right then. So you, you before you were working for the consultancy, you started developing the app or
1: at the same time? Oh, at yeah, the same at time. the same time, kind of side of desk sort of thing. Uh, but it was when I look back at some of the designs and wireframes now, it's obviously quite cringeworthy to see <laughs> what you come up with. But it was. I mean, how long ago was it? it Must have been ten, twelve, nearly twelve years ago now. So it was. It was in the early stage of app development and everyone yeah, thought yeah. they could make an app. But I do wish I'd pursued it now because it, it has got a bit of a unique quality versus Tinder or some of the others.
2: That's a, that's a side hustle before a side hustle was a side hustle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can believe I've exactly. said that three times in one sentence. Um, so, <laughs> so um, well, I mean, there's there's still room for those things, I suppose. Like we've seen, uh, obviously, Bumble come out come out uh, and an IPO at great rates, I suppose. So yeah. maybe there's still uh, there's still scope for scope in there. But uh, so you you landed into a consultancy. What, what did you study that got you there, or was it was was it technology related?
1: Not at all, actually. It was um, I did a joint honours in business and Chinese, so nothing related no. at all. But actually, from, from quite young, I suppose I've always found computers and technology interesting. I sort of always laugh thinking back at my ITA level class where it was me and just a sea of boys and most of my girlfriends uh, teasing me on the side saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing ITA level? It's absolutely ridiculous. So I think I always love technology and I'm trying to understand them a bit more.
2: Yeah, that's interesting though, isn't it? Because we've had a few conversations about, uh, you know, women getting involved in tech and uh, it it always does seem to come back to the schools and and, and various things. Why do you think there was such a, why do you think your friends were so against IT? I mean, I know IT at that sort of level is, you know, how to use Microsoft, but it's uh, (laughs) because I went through exactly that as well, wanting to study computer science, but uh, being taught how to use Word and Excel but but yeah. why do you think uh, why, why do you think that that is a sort an attitude amongst girls
1: well i i think it's actually really interesting and i think it depends on what school you go to and what the gender stereotypes are so mm. i actually so um, in the earliest part of my schooling i went to an all girls school And then in sixth form, I went to a mixed sixth form college. And it was at the old all girls school where no one ever thought anything of it. Like computers were super interesting. You got to create loads of awesome projects, which were really creative. Mm -hmm. And you navigated how to make that work. And then you got the end result, which I always loved. So actually, there was a whole bunch of us who did GCSE IT and loved it and never thought anything of it. And it was only when I went to the mixed college. And I think everyone just saw me as a girl amongst loads of boys that then it was sort of put into focus that they're why have I chosen that rather than actually thinking of the subject I, I do actually find that quite fascinating in terms of it's the, it's the perception I think of what it means to study IT or look at technology that's that's all wrong and whether that's to do with gender stereotypes at school or the image of tech and um, I think it probably starts from somewhere there
2: it's weird that it would be different in different schools though
1: yeah, I, I completely agree. And I don't know whether, you know, maybe that's just my own personal experience, but I do I do find it intriguing that, yeah, until it was brought into focus in terms of why are you doing IT? I hadn't even thought of it. I just really enjoyed it. And so did loads of my girlfriends, but that was in an all girls context. So mm. I don't think any of us ever, ever thought of it.
2: Mm. Interesting. But the... Um... So they jump into consultancy. Then that was from the business angle, then I presume.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it was sort of um, that classic: you're at university. I'd actually spent a bit of time in China. I think I thought by studying Chinese, I'd go there, find a startup, and like live there forever. And there were lots of reasons why that that probably wasn't going to be the the ideal thing for. For me so ended up coming back here and I think it was just looking in the market and seeing what was interesting and uh, yeah a lot of the big consultancies at that time were you know advertising to graduates well so I, I ended up just picking that but without too much thought around what it meant in terms of working with technology to be honest.
2: Mm. How, how did you find uh, China was it well I mean obviously you came back but
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely incredible I would love to go back there again mm. um, and fascinating obviously seeing um, or having experienced what it's like to live there a little bit, obviously quite a few years ago, but, and then seeing how they responded to the, fact, the pandemic as well. And just being able mm-hmm. to um, kind of correlate s- some of their approach to how, how you actually see things on the ground. But I lived in, so I lived in Beijing for uh, most of my time and then traveled throughout sort of Central and South China for the rest of it. And it was, yeah, super fun. Absolutely incredible place from cultural perspective, landscape perspective, um, food perspective, like all of it, absolutely amazing. Have you ever been?
2: I haven't, no. I mean, Sam, you've done a lot
0: of traveling. You must have been to China. No, no, I haven't been to China. I haven't been to China, but been to Thailand, just and uh, even in Australia, to be honest, down that kind of, well, I guess it's the uh, eastern side Conclusion, of the world. Yeah. Um, very, very different way of life, very, mm. very different culturally and mm. things like that. It's eye opening, to be honest.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good yeah. summary. Eye opening, it definitely is but really kind of hits all of your senses. It's a bit how I think people talk about India. You know, it's kind Mm -hmm. of the more common thing to say, oh, isn't it such a huge cultural difference? And obviously it is, but I think China is equally um, as much. They've obviously just adopted a lot more of the Western characteristics Mm -hmm. in some of the biggest cities. And that's what you see on the TV much more Mm -hmm. than you do when you go into some of the back um, kind of countryside areas. And it's just absolutely incredible and beautiful, really beautiful. Mm -hmm.
2: And did you work whilst you were out there or was it part of the the studying?
1: Yeah, I I did a couple of things and I went there a few times. So sometimes I was um, teaching in their schools and universities. And then when I went back to live, I actually worked at Time Out in Beijing, which again was really fascinating from a perspective of seeing how English companies thrive or not thrive or what challenges they face in in working in a Chinese community. Because they face lots of challenges in the lead up to the Olympics, which was when I was there around when they were able to publish. And that was really because the government at the time were trying to get a real uh, kind of control on what was being said and what wasn't and things like, I don't know if you remember, but during the Beijing Olympics, there was quite a lot of talk of these um, pollution clouds Mm. and how they used to shoot them down to try and make sure that when they were doing all of the shots across the bird's nest, it would look absolutely incredible and all blue skies and stuff like that when you say
2: shoot them down what do you mean by shooting them down
1: they had a way of being able to shoot something and forgive me because i have no idea what into the 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 clouds to make it rain and then make the really clouds disperse no it's aluminium it's it's aluminium aluminium. aluminium
0: yeah 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 they do it in in dubai they um they do it like once a year and it hammers it down when they do it, and they, they year on year they're doing it more and more. Oh, actually, as silver, it's called uh, it's called cloud seeding.
2: Because I know that they started doing a, a schedule, I think, didn't they? For only like even num- even number plated cars could drive into the city on a certain day or something to try and reduce the number of vehicles that were Th- that was Beijing, wasn't it? I think.
1: I can well imagine that it was. And if they were doing that now, what would actually happen is you'd drive into the city and your car would automatically stop at a barrier because it would know that uh, <laughs> you're the car they don't want coming into the city that day. So I think if they were doing that again, it would be even more crazy.
2: Yeah, a definite evolution in technology. Well, actually, I suppose from a technology perspective, you must have seen things over there at that time that were that we probably adopted since because to a certain degree, they have They're quite far ahead of us in terms of at least hardware development.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that because as a kind of person just living in within the community, it wasn't like there were sort of gadgets everywhere. The main difference that I could see at that time, and this is way way back in 2008, so again quite a long time ago, was really they'd just started to use WeChat, um, Mm. and it was the payments that was already up and running there compared to what we were doing here. And actually, I remember at the time, no one could quite understand how they were managing to make it work because they didn't have bank cards. They kind of skipped that, that part of it. And you had people who were serving you what you call trial out on the pavements and it was sort of these, um, you know, like kebab type things. And then the lady uh, would take your money off her WeChat. Um, So yeah, really, really different, but it was, it was quite a long time ago. So maybe I didn't see quite the level of technology you might expect. Um, and certainly, what they've got now, and I think it depends on what cities you're in as well.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that's definitely um, much further ahead than we were in 2008. I think <laughs> we're probably only just catching up to that to a certain degree. So, anyway, you've gone into the into the the uh, the consultancy. I think it's really interesting that you found that sort of route. When you started developing the app, did you did you feel like you had any barriers to developing the app, not having a particularly technical background, obviously an interest in technology, but not having a particularly technical background. How did you get started and going, I'm just going to build an app?
1: Yeah, actually, I I kept it quite simple and stayed at prototype stage. Mm. So that was probably a blocker to me getting funding in the end. And also, I would say probably a blocker to me being really credible and being able to sell the whole vision Mm. of what I was trying to do. So I'd say it definitely hindered me. And I think the other thing about not having that kind of technical expertise or a technical partner was thinking of it as, too, you know, as such a big problem to solve just because I didn't have any understanding of what it would take. And actually, with what I know now, I could have probably done a very simple MVP back then and it mm. probably wouldn't have even cost that much money. It's just I didn't have all of that um, context and experience to know what that first small step is that you can take. And I didn't necessarily have a partner to help me. Um, figure that out either
0: to jump in on that point around not having the expertise to or whatever to 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 sell the whole vision, I thought I translated that in my brain as like you're you, you you're held back by the the current state of it and you weren't able to explain the ongoing you know the what needs to happen from here on in. Have I got that right or wrong
1: yeah to an extent, I think it was sort of being able to sell a whole vision and the commercials that it, that's yeah. it behind it and what it yeah like you're saying what it would actually take to get started mm-hmm. and the costs of, of developing that versus what the commercials i could see for it could be so yeah a bit, yeah. A bit of that certainly
0: because i think a common not necessarily common actually but a, a mistake that some people can sometimes make is like they feel like they have to have it all developed and all the rest of it and yeah it, it's, it's a misconception that actually having that vision and you know is is almost um more important than actually having the product and and matt wilson who you who probably remember from from and you know they built a product his first business they actually built the product but none of the investors wanted to look at the product they didn't care they wanted that vision they wanted that ambition and and that you know well like you said the costings and various things like that so it, it i i guess just for the the sort of listeners in 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 thinking about making that next step it's often the vision that's way more powerful than actually having a working product You know.
1: Oh I totally agree with that and I think um you know it's just one of those things that when you're starting out and you're trying to do something for the first time you you use it to hold you back and also I think I think there is still though value in finding someone who's got the opposite skill set to you or a complementary skill set to you so they can bolster that credibility in those sorts of spaces but yeah I do agree
2: So going back into you, you know you'd found the 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 sort of real interest in technology around this time How were you finding your position as a a woman in technology, like in comparison to all the other people around you? Where where you were, were there a lot of other women or was it quite still thin on the ground?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, it's probably only in the last few years that I've looked back and even thought about what the landscape was like. And in mm. the consultancy that, the, that I worked in, especially going into other organizations and working with their IT teams, um, yeah, you're always the only the only female within a meeting which you were trying to lead typically. There'd be a few, but not many. Um, and again, because that was just how it is, or was back then, I didn't really think too much about it. So going mm. into, um, when I went and worked for my first digital agency, again the gender balance there are a few people in product i think it's 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 known that you know within the product space there's more females probably than in the engineering space mm. but i suppose it didn't sort of occur to me too much until i found there were sort of some challenges to i suppose influencing and and getting your own way and and just figuring out what's the right approach to do that and um again if there's any limiting factors that you unconsciously don't know about or that you're thinking about unconsciously that you need to try and overcome to to do things more effectively.
2: You talked about more women in product and I think that's certainly true but do you think there's more women in consultancy than there are in the businesses you're consulting for as well just trying to pick up on what you were saying about meetings you were you were in there.
1: Do you know what I don't know the answer to that. I think if the you know anecdotally we know that there's not enough females in technology and I think that includes technology companies and technology mm-hmm. consultancies as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have any stats, or I haven't looked into that, so I, I can't answer. On. Well,
2: I think you know most of that's uh, anecdotal, really. But I was just, I was just thinking about it because I've been quite heavily involved in consultancy over the last ten years yeah. or so as well. And I think, um, I mean, a lot of the organisations I've been in, from consultant perspective, have been quite female-led. So I was curious about the the perspective from someone who'd been in a different set of consultancies. <laughs> but that permanent position, people who are, you know, who you're consulting for. Um, I I think in my experience they've generally been quite male-led, not one hundred percent male, but you know mostly.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'd pro- i probably agree. I'm trying to think across even within our digital our our consultants and, and mm. sort of what's the diversity is is there, um, and probably from the past, yeah, you definitely again I think you see more of uh, a better balance outside of the engineering space within technology companies
2: so even with within and do you think it's uh, what's the sort of splits that you have amongst the different teams
1: yeah we're we're, we're quite big now we're about a 1000 people wow. um so uh, our balance has got a lot better i'd say over the past few years so we're a, we're approximately 40% female i think across mm. the whole piece and then actually what's great is we've got new tools so you can actually zoom into different clubs so within our club, we're upholding that sort of ratio as well, which is really strong. Um, within engineering, it's, it's not quite there yet still. So there's still work to do in terms of making sure that that whole pipeline from, you know, recruitment to supporting and promoting people, you know, no matter who they are, is fair for everyone so that we can keep um, and attract some more of that talent to make sure those balances retain and, and get better.
2: Do you know, you're the, uh, I think the third AND digital employee that we've had on in, in, uh, in, in the, the lifetime of the show, which is about six months, I think, at this point. And I think the number is increasing every time we speak to someone, <laughs> the number of staff that you have. Like the rate of growth in the AND is just, just phenomenal.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's really amazing. I think we had 63 people on boarding on uh, Monday of this week. And that's wow. where we reached our thousandth Andy. So yeah, it's it's definitely growing fast.
2: That's incredible, isn't it? Impressive as well that you've managed to keep to the sort of forty percent. Although, I, I is that is that intentional to try and keep to forty percent, or you know, do you, how do you how do you then deal with that sort of recruitment? Do you have to put a certain amount of positive discrimination spin on it, or I mean, how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, I I think it's a really good question. And I think what's interesting about the way that we grow, just for context, is that um, we grow in units of about 80 people, Mm. which is usually a club, but it can be another business unit. Um, So each business unit lead or club executive, which is what my role is, you all have an eye on trying to make sure that we're kind of running that fair process and, and therefore recruiting to reflect the communities that we're from. So that's different in different regions and areas. Um, But it is really down to the responsibility of that business unit lead. We then have a central committee, which is there to govern how well we're doing against that. But we don't necessarily have targets. Mm. It's more that we want to, and we are a people first company. um, And we're trying to really um, bring that to life through lots of different things, but not least that recruitment and trying to build a diverse uh, workforce that we build brilliant products that actually can work for the majority of people and impact people's lives so yeah it's not it's done at lots of different levels is probably the answer to that and Mm. i think the idea of targets though more generally is really interesting because um, i've had lots of really healthy discussion with people around the benefits and challenges of targets um, and what they mean i think something that yeah i'm absolutely not an advocate for is positive discrimination Mm. um But there are mechanisms that you need to use to create a vision around what your kind of end state is, build a case for why diversity is really important, and then create equity within those opportunities that you're putting into the market. For example, within my club, it's not that I have targets, but I have a broad view of, you know, the kind of split that I'd want to get from a gender balance point of view Mm. and um, ethnicity, just because that would then reflect kind of where we where we uh, work in London. Uh, but yeah, we, we avoid as much as possible p- positive discrimination because I don't think that's necessarily the best way to get the best people in your teams. In fact, it certainly isn't.
2: That's interesting. I mean, for for organisations, I mean, obviously, you're in a position where you're you're advising organisations on you know how to build products, but presumably also how to uh, staff and increase you know the the, the staff level within their own organisations as well, because. Obviously, I knew, we, we know that any consultancy that's worth its salt is going to try and leave an organization with the capability and not just body shop. So for an organization that maybe isn't set up to deal with targets or diversity, how do you sort of coach them on the type of people that will make their organization more successful? Because I get that that's the vibe you're, you're you're saying, really. It's, you know, a wider mix, a wider variety of people whether that's age or eth- age ethnicity or sex then uh, you know that's going to help how do you coach that into an organization
1: yeah it's a really good question there's probably in my mind um, and I'd love to hear your views on it but I think there's probably two parts to it there's understanding the skills and capabilities that you need and then kind of fundamentally uh, whether the leadership team in the business believes in building diverse workforces if you, if you don't have that bit on the on the right with the leadership team, I think you're fundamentally not going to get anywhere Mm -hmm. because you need to put quite a lot of effort into improving a whole bunch of things to be able to do that. You know, whether it's around putting your hands up and actually doing something to change the the roots movement and actually get more females or more people from more diverse backgrounds into technology more generally, whether it's around within your recruitment processes, looking at every nook and cranny to see what, what you're doing well, where you could do better... Um, Or whether it's around making sure you've got enough role models so that people are actually attracted into your business and can see themselves within your business, Um, which is, I think, personally, the thing that we've really improved on and digital to kind of bring to life our ambition to be a much more diverse company. I think it's around those things, but it has to start with what's the capability that you need to build and what are the skill sets and whether you recruit those in. Uh, from afresh because they're in the market or you have to figure out a learning and development strategy to actually build them from you know grads up then you kind of work with those two different things there's been quite a lot of research recently i think from people whether it's mckinsey and others just to say around to build truly diverse teams actually you need to grow that talent within your own business um Mm. so that that's also interesting to me what do you think
2: well Uh, well, I think the, the the leadership thing I agree is a big problem, right? I mean, if you if you haven't got that in that in in the leaders themselves, then it's going to be very difficult to uh, to sort of change those hearts and minds. And I I think from having worked with consultancies like and in the past, where there is a good mix, it does have a positive impact. And I think it's that sort of um, I don't know. You've got to have that positive change to in mind you can if you see that it's working then why would you do anything different um i mean i have actually seen other organizations actively do the opposite but (laughs) but i think it's um that that's just again down to the leaders and down to the people that are involved in it my first job in london was working for a disability organization and um to a degree they they did encourage a certain element of positive discrimination, but only because the leaders wouldn't know where to start. If you know what I mean, it's not necessarily what they wanted, but they saw it as a a view to say, well, actually, you know, if you do set targets, eventually you'll start to realise that you don't need those targets. Do you know what I mean? It's you, you've got to start somewhere. It's difficult, difficult.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And it's kind of that what you said about seeing as believing. Um, mm. I think that's really true. But for people who don't have those lived experiences, actually, that sometimes the only way that they can come to terms with what that vision means in real terms is by a target. And mm-hmm. again, I kind of mentioned it, but for me, they can be helpful in vision setting and just getting everyone agreed on, okay, what an end state could look like. But it's it's just being very mindful about, yeah, the negative uh, things that that could lead to and where positive discrimination doesn't necessarily get you the skills that you needed and mm-hmm. um, i think that's yeah really detrimental to the cause of trying to build d- diverse teams um, because those people come into the business they have imposter syndrome around those things because they simply don't match up to other people at their peer level uh, mm-hmm. for all the wrong reasons
0: sam what's your perspective on that I was going to say, I really like the role model aspect as well. It was something we touched on with Mamta, who was spoke a lot about diversity and things like that in the workplace. And, you know, it was a huge learning for me that for, for a long while, she struggled with actually placing herself because she looked at those kind of you know higher up boardroom type figures and they were all your classic white male, you know, middle class sort of thing. And that was a real you know um, a blocker for her and that opened my eyes up to this whole idea of role models and and how you present yourself and the impact that actually can have so you know I I think about it when it comes to this show when it when it comes to running my business and things like that it's like how can we create those role models because they're out there and we just need to make a conscious effort to shine a light on them um, and what they do and I guess one of the hardest things about that is often, not just in diversity, but in just everyday life, and, and you mentioned imposter syndrome um, as well there, sometimes we don't recognise the the wins that we achieve or that other people achieve, because, you know, for instance, I think someone writing a really kick-ass line of code is, is a super good win and we should celebrate it, whereas I'm I'm a bit blind to some of maybe the organisational structure stuff or something like that. So it's having... A diverse workplace and not in the way that we're talking about it in the way of just how different minds recognize different things and making sure that everyone's just spotting those little wins putting shining a light on them and and creating role models for that so i think that's that's a really exciting area and i think a very powerful area that everyone needs to explore
1: i think also for me what i found fascinating especially as i've become a mother is sort of looking backwards and seeing how at different stages of I'm sure all of our careers, you look for different types of role models. Mm. So prior to having a child, mm. I was never really worried about who had a kid or not and how they were coping with yeah. being a leader and a parent at the same time. Now I'm absolutely desperate for those, <laughs> those people to share their stories and tell me if they're finding it as challenging in some places as I am. And I think yeah. that's, that's really important, like you said, Sam, to have that variety of people so that when you're looking in at different times of your life, you have lots of different Um, types of role models I think the other example Mm -hmm. that I'm really proud of within our our business is just where we've got people who've done career switching Mm -hmm. um, and actually trying to shine a light on them because again often they come into the business they're a bit older compared to some of their peers but they've got so many extra experiences that they're bringing into their role and it's just to try and help them feel comforted that there's people at all levels of the organization who have done the same brave thing that they have at one time or other and I find those people actually really exciting to watch and coach and, and try and uh, mentor just because I just think what they're doing is really brave. And it's it's great to um, show them as role models in the business as well.
0: Precisely why we brought Simon on the show. That's exactly what we wanted to do is shine a light on that, you know, career change, no matter where you are, what you do that, you know, tech as an industry is very welcoming to that. and And, you know. You've just nailed exactly, probably articulated much better than I ever could around <laughs> exactly why we brought on someone like Simon to the show to show that career change and and um and and celebrate it and and hopefully you know in some small way have an impact on those thinking about it or you know or or whatever whatever fence whatever side of the fence or whatever that they're on thinking about their career hopefully we can have an impact on that so yeah it's it's a great
2: thing that's episode nine listeners if you haven't listened to that one yet just by the way (laughs) 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 Um, so I'm I'm curious about the uh, well a couple of things there You, you mentioned about imposter syndrome for one but then also that transition into into being a mother uh, congratulations and uh, uh, and how how do you manage to uh, to to navigate that 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 shift to still being a senior leader, now having a child? Uh, presumably you had a, a full nine months off, I don't know. How have you managed to navigate that?
1: Yeah, I think you've caught me probably on a quite a challenging week <laughs> where my <laughs> daughter's not sleeping. So oh my answer this week is probably different to another week, but it's actually been incredible for lots of different reasons. I think as a female, I'm privileged, obviously, to have gone through, like you said, sort of nine months of carrying a child. And I think the uh, reward you get from then having that baby and having it Makes you as a woman realize your full potential. So, actually, I got quite a lot of inspiration from that process that I was really keen to try and harness and put back into the workplace because, you know, to me, actually, what you achieve in those nine months is so huge compared to anything I've necessarily done in my career. I found that quite um, useful to come back into the business and work and, and try and use that as a way to feel really confident about um, coming back into the workplace. That said, when I came back on the first day of lockdown, having been very excited about, you know, what I was going to wear coming into my new role, and then you're like, <laughs> right, you're working from home. That was <laughs> That was less than ideal and definitely not what I was expecting.
2: So you've had longer away from the office than the rest of us then?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Wow. And I miss the office. I don't know whether you guys do, but I absolutely miss it. I do try and go in every so often because I absolutely miss that connection. But I suppose that my, my route back into work and that shift has been a little bit different from, mm. from mothers um, previously to me, just because I've had the privilege of working from home and then not having to do all of that rigmarole around the commutes necessarily in those early stages of when I was getting used to going back to work wind forward we're quite a, away from that now and she's two and it's just what I find amazing and uh, terrifying as about about children is just there's always a new challenge so I think I thought that was the challenge then now the challenge is I'm getting about two or three hours of sleep and you still have to kind of come to work and uh, lead and be positive and, and be resilient for your colleagues and honestly yes yeah, some days it's easier or harder than others and i think it's having that uh, team around you who you know and a, a small selection of people who you can be really open with when you need to when you're you're feeling like you need a bit of support has been absolutely critical to to that uh, but it's yeah it's not always easy i'd say
2: it certainly sounds like a challenge i imagine the not having to commute probably does make it easier actually i mean i find it easier and i don't have a kid so <laughs> i like commuting to my office it's only a few steps it's great um. Yeah. How How difficult? I mean, do you do you ha you mention then that you have people to lean on? Do you have like a support network within the business or external to the business that you can talk about, you know, similar problems and stuff with?
1: Yeah, a, a, a few different support networks. I'm I'm really lucky. Um, not least I've got an incredible set of girlfriends, all you know, um, very com- career minded and really passionate about what they do, and and we often talk about um just how hilarious it is trying to have it all um uh and you know there's obviously great things about it but it's 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 not easy and anyone who paints it out to be easy i think is is probably making it even harder for all of us who mm-hmm. think you can have it all um so there's that side of it um and then yeah within the business i mean again i think that's one of the things about working for a company who is really kind of trying to be people first because there is um encouragement to talk to people and I suppose, share things and, and just be there for each other. So within my leadership team, I've got a really great group of people. And whilst I'm not going to tell them all of the challenges because they don't need to hear about it, they're definitely people who will at least ask, you know, how I am mm. um, and spot if I'm a bit quieter on a day and, and just take time out to say, you know, is everything good? And that makes all the difference, just, just knowing you've got people who, who are there to work with you as a team. So, yeah, I really appreciate all that support that we all give each other, actually
2: have you found that your attitude to work has changed because you know i guess you know as we as we're coming up in our careers we've got um a huge amount of drive as coupled with that imposter syndrome we mentioned before how, how how does that change now that you've come back and your life has changed and you've got a kid and all that sort of stuff does does, does is there a shift a mental shift there as well
1: yeah, it was really interesting because I, I um, pre prior to getting pregnant, I went to a um, a really great talk with Bryony Gordon. I don't know if you know her or or like her, but she's um, sort of a a journalist who had a child, and I was really intrigued by her because she talked about when she had a child. Actually, it created this whole new wave of motivation within mm. her career, and I think I always perceived having a child as being a sort of a blocker or a stopper to what you might want to do with your career and it gives you all of this sort of uh, you know actually career is not important and actually my child is the most important thing and whilst i think obviously some of that is fundamentally true you know uh, you know your priority is is your child and your family actually for me i'm, I'm more in line with her i found it as a source of inspiration to mm. kind of preserve that bit of me which isn't a mother um and really try and lean into that and and like i said i think realizing the power of of all the things you need to do as a mother actually again just try to leverage that um and so i have i've become um unexpectedly as motivated as i was before at work but i think that is coupled with being a bit more pragmatic about the art of the possible and you know quite how much time you can spend on work but also you become insanely efficient. So I think you, you sort of work smarter as well, which I've really welcomed because I was certainly someone who could yeah, work lots of overtime and I think I, I had to become much more disciplined at doing less of that.
2: Well, uh, I'm particularly good at doing a lot of overtime. Have you got any um, tips? <laughs> <laughs> Other than having a kid, because I, I think I have a physical impossibility there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really hard, isn't it? And actually, I think what's... Um, Interesting again looking back so when I didn't have a child I used to find it in my mind when I couldn't empathize with people who had children frustrating that they would say they can't do overtime because they you know they're like no I can't I've got my family yeah. I'm t- switching off and because I didn't understand that experience at the time I used to be like oh god why can't they just do that extra hour or whatever it yeah, is that yeah. we need to do to get that thing done but now I'm on the other side I've just realized it's just about boundaries and every person um owes themselves a boundary um, and actually, if you if if you enjoy doing overtime, then there's also nothing wrong with that. But if fundamentally it's something that's getting to you, I think it sounds simple, but it's just about really being resolute about that boundary and why it doesn't work for you, and then just really try and be consistent at implementing it. Um, and everyone deserves a boundary, not just parents, not just people who have, you know, things that they need to go to after work. It's everybody.
2: Do you find that you are then when you've got those boundaries that you're more efficient within them? Like, do you, have to, do you have to keep focus? I mean, ha- like, Definitely. Wh- where do you fit in your time to procrastinate? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Does that yeah, just have to go by the wayside? The- <laughs> <laughs> that's where the commute has really uh, taken something out of my life. Mm. Because I don't know about you, but I loved that transition from work to i was going to say school but i actually meant uh, home um and you know that just yeah ability to just listen to some music or listen yeah. to a great podcast like that tech show or whatever it is to help your mind wander outside of your every day um so yeah i i do less procrastinating and i miss it chris i would love to bring it back where do you fit in is that where your overtime goes
2: uh i think that's why i have to do overtime uh no maybe <laughs> yeah i don't know it's uh, I, I find um uh i get stuck in things you know like if you if you open social media i can get stuck in front of it but i think that's uh that's that's more to do with uh with how my brain works than anything else um but so i I'm, I'm curious about the the leaning into that the, the the uh the enthusiasm that you talked about is that where and she can has come from
1: Do you know what? It's not. Some um, much more brilliant people than me actually came up with And She Can. Um, So it wasn't my original initiative, but I am proud to be the exec sponsor for it now. Um, And it originally came from us within the business wanting to um, do something about that roots movement, like I described. Mm. I think it's great to talk about building a diverse workforce, but unless you're doing something fundamentally to help try and change the actual problem which is getting more females into technology, then actually you're not you're not as committed as you you say you are. So that's certainly where we were inspired to set up can as a business.
2: So tell us about AnchiCan then. What 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 is it? How does it work?
1: Absolutely. So can is um, an internal organisation within And Digital and it's a group of people who are really passionate about inspiring more girls and women to consider a career in technology subjects, whether that's engineering or non-engineering roles. And um, they've done through the course of the three years that they've been set up a series of different things to try and drive that inspiration. So sometimes it's been the whole conferences where we get girls into a room together and we talk them through lots of different aspects of technology and then do workshops with them so they're actually starting to feel what it might be like to do some of these um, roles, all the way through to what we're doing this year, which is really a series of conversations uh, with females, to again, to try and inspire, teach and guide them into technology roles. Um, So, yeah, we're really pleased to be running a series of events throughout the month of July, and they cut across different subjects like demystifying what tech roles really look like. So there's the non-tech side of it and the tech side of it. And then what do you do once you know about that you want to get into technology? What guidance can we give them to actually get into tech?
2: So are these events open to, to anyone? How'd you get involved?
1: Yeah, they're they're open to anyone. They're advertised and um, up on our and digital LinkedIn page and they're really easy to sign up for. Uh, they're free. There's actually one on this evening, um, so I'm sure this podcast will go out much later than that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, the, I think if you're listening to this, you've missed the event by about a week, so sorry about that.
1: <laughs> but there are two more coming up in July, so one on right. the 15th of July and another on the 22nd of July um, in 2021. So do go to Anne Digital's LinkedIn page and you can sign up for their free. And it's targeted at any female, either graduates or at a stage where they're looking for a new uh, career and just trying to inspire and encourage them into the wonderful world of tech.
2: And, and how long did you say that's been running for?
1: It was first set up in 2019. And that's really because we were doing lots of sort of disparate things and we wanted a way of collecting all of those activities mm. together. And in the earlier stages of MCCAM, we did quite a lot of work with Code for Girls who run some of the boot camps um, for uh, people, again, looking to get into uh, technology. So we sort of uh, shared that with them. And then this is sort of now our own thing to try and drive that movement and upskill people where we can
2: obviously it's running for a couple of years then have you seen uh, any success stories that have come out of that are are people starting to come to you because they were at those events and you know how's it starting to change those hearts and minds
1: yeah absolutely so i think um we've actually got a couple of people within my club who have been part of some of those earlier cohorts and part of the code for girls um, initiative when when we were paired up with them so that and she Can and copa girls so that that's been really great to actually see people come into the business and seriously consider a career in technology i think going forward what we'd love to do more is get more data around the kind of before and the after and really mm. try to see how we're influencing and inspiring people people at a bigger scale um, we as a company have huge ambitions around how many people we want to upskill with in 2025 and an obvious key part of that. Is um, around females and helping to uh, encourage them to get into technology and in that way upskill them uh, into the business.
0: Given it's, it's encouraging women to get into technology, how are you spreading the word beyond? you know if you're following and digital on twitter or whatever you obviously know about and digital how are you getting people beyond the circle or, or the, the you know the the bubble of technology how how are you reaching those individuals and and getting their interest and in, uh, is there any M- initiatives you're doing at schools or or whatever to do to do that
1: we haven't yet got a wholesale um approach to doing it but certainly as part of an we're targeting universities um, and schools in terms of sending out invites fights um and trying to get as many of those people along to our series as possible but again as we start to kind of look into 2022 and what our strategy is we'd love to professionalize and sort of think more strategically about how we're doing that mm. um Mm. and do it across the country as well because we're predominantly doing and she can down within um, the southern clubs but we'd love to expand that across the uk at least
0: yeah that's really interesting because like London is a tech hub so the reach is probably you're more likely to find someone who's interested in tech but what about the rural areas around the UK and those you know those those non-tech hubs do you have any ideas or any any kind of inklings of how you might go about that Um, thinking about location being a thing um, you know well anything really reaching beyond the bubble as I call it
1: Yeah, I think that's um, a really interesting question. And actually, if you go back to the problem that we're trying to solve, it's around how are you inspiring people within their school subjects even and above to actually consider and understand what a role in technology looks like so that they will choose those subjects at school um so i think fundamentally it's about uh, kind of going even deeper into the communities and really looking at schools and um, we're also a part of the tech she can charter which is the pwc's uh, charter which is a collection of very like-minded businesses all aimed and doing lots of great things exactly like we are fan she can to try and encourage and inspire people females into technology subjects so actually yeah i think It shouldn't matter where you are. We should be targeting actually the education system to say, this is such a fundamental part of how we now live and the skills that we'll all need within the future. We must be inspiring, demystifying what it actually means to work within these companies at much earlier stage, because not only is it an amazing industry to work in, it's also super creative and actually really, really valuable in terms of uh, what you might want to do in, in later life.
0: Mm, yeah, I I I completely like schools it, it, it's just where it kind of starts. I do I do think there is probably a challenge or a um an exciting challenge to think about well how do we get people who you know when we think about ages and, and that kind of aspect like how do we get people who feel like I, I say people how do we get women who feel like they're beyond the age of getting into anything new like that sounds to me like would be a, a particularly interesting and difficult challenge to overcome um, have you had any thoughts around that type of approach uh, or is it just schools for now and then see how it grows
1: at the moment it's, for, it's just for schools but i think you've touched on such an um an incredibly complicated and important subject mm. around you know females particularly later in life there's so much um research into actually um sort of the journey of a working mother and in line with how uh kind of childcare is currently set up those duties typically are you know at such a cost that it, it usually and I say this broadly, it usually becomes to the detriment of the female's career. And between the ages of naught and three, you often get mothers who don't go back to work because the childcare costs are so prohibitive. So after those sort of three years, you've got a you've got a lot of um uh working mothers who have such high potential, but they've, you know, lost their confidence along the way, either to get back into the careers that they were in or to consider being inspired by other new careers. You know, not least within technology. I think that's where that idea of career switches is really interesting, um, because I think there's a whole, um, you know, untapped, amazing market of mothers who would love to be inspired into new areas. But yeah, I, I don't think there's there's probably enough thought being given to that. I would love that to be part of and she can over time, definitely.
0: Mm. Um. Just to clarify, when you say cost, you mean the cost, or you d- you don't mean financial costs. You mean the cost of experience and 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 confidence. Uh, by being out of action, I. I, I mean all of it actually. So, so the cost yeah. of
1: childcare is so high. Um, within those very early years, actually, unless you're earning a a certain um salary post tax, it's mm-hmm. it's almost your you're working at break even. Um, or or less to be able to go back to work. So that's a real consideration for all all families. Who goes back to work, um, or do you both go back to work, and 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 how do you pay for the childcare? So I, th- I think what's interesting is I think at the moment um, it still remains um, largely a female problem uh, that that side of things. But now that there are more men taking up things like shared parental care, I think this will become. A much broader problem because it's sort of the cost yeah. of childcare is so prohibitive. How do you make sure a that's that's not the case, and b for people who do take those naught to three years out to look after their children, how do you get them back into the workforce in a really positive yeah. way? Whether that's within their old careers or within new careers,
0: mm. we're getting into the weeds now because I'm I'm now thinking about that you, you mentioned that shared parental thing because maybe in the future of and she can because. I think there's a big issue around the. Now I'm not a parent, so I'm not going to know the ins and outs of all of this type of stuff. But how society expects, like the women, then they have get longer maternity leave, and guys only get a week off, and things. It feels like there's a real. There could be an opportunity there to actually not just talking to the women and individuals who want to get into tech, but it's actually changing the minds of the businesses and organisations of how they can make it. Or more fair it's more accessible i suppose isn't more it? more accessible easier for for those women to get back into the workplace hopefully removing any sort of prejudice or anything against the risks involved when you hire a female that feels like a whole piece that could be mm. it could be an interesting thing to tackle and it's a, it's a huge and interesting problem
1: yeah i think it's a huge and interesting problem for everyone I think it's sort of, um, you know, not not just a single company, but there are a lot of businesses who, under their diversity and inclusion agenda, are really trying to make an effort to make, you know, that, that parental leave much more fair and equitable for whoever takes it. So some people doing some sizable things, not least kind of offering exactly the same parental leave, whether it's the the male or the female taking that time off and i think it's those sorts of things mm-hmm. which are going to start driving the significant change around how those roles of both um the working parent and the person who's who's uh kind of back home looking after the child how those images actually change mm,
0: yeah
2: we, we talked about before about the recruitment aspect and bringing you know how how do you encourage an organization to hire more women um have you been have you from an and perspective being able to coach organizations on this diversity aspect as well in terms of you know the parental leave the other things that you might want to consider around uh being more equitable in the types of um well i suppose part of its compensation but also benefits for 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 women in the
1: organization we haven't yet it's probably the the honest answer. Mm. But I think as part of that um, piece around being a people first company, we often share with other organisations what it is that we do to try and either attract or retain the talent that we've got. And that includes obviously, uh, building diverse cultures in all of the different business units and clubs that we have. Mm. Um, But specifically around the sort of parental leave, not yet, because I think we've got things that we could um, probably look to improve as well. So I don't think we're there yet either
0: what is your responsibility as the, uh, the the head sponsor or what's your day to day like with with anchi can sort of thing
1: yeah as the exec sponsor and um, for anchi can we're doing lots of different things but moreover i i kind of oversee the strategy of of what the team are doing and what they want to do what's really mm. important for me is that the team of people who are actually volunteering their time to make this happen Um, outside of work actually are really bought into what they're doing and and therefore making it happen so they can feel individually very proud of the contributions that they've made Um, so at the moment it's from a strategic perspective and I think part of that is um, really looking this year to see as we've amped up the efforts that we're making really reviewing the data and looking at okay which of these things were the most impactful and how can we try and amp them up yet again for next year and either repeat or scale them um, just to make sure that we're having as much of an impact in this area as possible.
0: Mm. Do you have any... Do you have any guys uh, like I say guys in in the? Do you have any males kind of um, working with the initiative, or is it important for you to be represented by females, or is that like a, a tricky thing to navigate around?
1: I, I think it's always um, perceived as a tricky question, but actually, what's really important mm. for us under Andrew Can is that actually it's it's a joint effort. It's everyone's problem, or everyone should be interested and bought into the idea that building diversity is absolutely crucial to building products that are successful or platforms that are successful so actually I'm really pleased to say within anchican there are, there are loads of andes who are male helping to drive that cause because they absolutely believe in it and that's in in, in lots of different ways so there's um, people who are giving talks to help inspire people into the different technology roles we've actually internally to say thank you to the people who are helping run anchican we're then giving them leadership coach coaching and training to help um, support them in their own careers and quite a lot of that is um, being run by a mixture of 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 Andes who are male and female um so Mm. yeah lots of of mixture and it's great to see that I think that's really important that it's both it's everyone who's getting behind this cause because fundamentally diversity in teams is is really important.
0: don't quite know the analogy but it's it's self-perpetuating you yourself need to be diverse to promote diversity and again, going back to that role model aspect, it's showing that, you know, people of all uh, shapes and sizes do care about this and want to promote it. So and this is all like, this is all extracurricular, this is all out of office stuff that, that you're doing, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly. why, you know, the team is so brilliant, because it does come from mm. a point of passion. Um, yeah. And I think, again, for me, you know, for us to be able to make a bigger impact part of my role as as the exact sponsor is to try and figure out how can we actually you know potentially sponsor someone to do this as as a part time role in in some respects um so we can really kind of scale our ambition and impact
0: mm. i mean i've been out of the uh, let's call it full time game for a while now obviously running my own company but i i would hazard a guess that there's there's not a lot um of businesses out there that have got this same kind of passion and dedication and focus within their organizations in terms of their initiatives when it comes to diversity i think everyone obviously they've all got their own different ways of doing things and all the different focus areas but this particular focus area is, um yeah i don't know i haven't i haven't really sort of heard about you know to this degree i don't know about you chris maybe you've uh worked with businesses a bit more than me or, or seeing the internal side of how businesses work more than me but it sounds like a very unique proposition that that and as you're offering
2: uh, well i mean i've seen a few different uh sort of diversity um drives i guess over over the years um but i i mean i think i think they're all starting to change i mean i'd, I'd love to get your your uh, your, your perspective Antonia. but it certainly seems like it's um There's more of it around now, at least in the last couple of years, than there ever has been. You know, I think there's been drives on disability, age, um, religion, gender, everything, really. But it certainly seems at least gender specifically, there is a big drive in the last couple of years
1: yeah i I think i'd agree in terms of sort of anecdotally everyone Mm. is recognizing or realizing the importance of it i think what's really interesting over the the next years is to really understand what of that is authentic and what of it is sort of what people think they should be doing and i think that will come through sort of over the next couple of years as we get more consistent around things like the gender pay gap and, yeah, uh, looking at our diversity policies, whether that's around parental leave or or other things. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of people are doing a lot of things um, and it's just around how effective they are. I think some of those things are yet to be measured and seen.
2: Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, re- returns us back to what we were talking about with the um, quotas and targets and things like that. You know, I think it it does remain to be seen, how it actually translates into reality, you know. I think there's there's probably certain things as well, like gender pay gap is a great a great point for you to bring up. I mean, the BBC, for example, obviously when they've been publishing the salaries, just exposing that and seeing that out there that there is such a um, such a gap in gen, in in pay across genders should inspire change, at least exposing it. But I'm actually wondering, you know, over over the course of your career so far, how have you seen those sort of things change in terms of more women in the workforce, more equality around parental leave and and actually the gender pay gap as well all all of the things that we've covered. Have you seen that sort of change organically or has it had as it had to be forced in some way or
1: I think and I don't know whether this is much about me or whether it's to do with the companies that i've worked in i've mm-hmm. I've one more the ever always been involved in these conversations and trying to push them. So I think there's always more that companies can be doing. So I haven't necessarily seen things always happen organically. I Mm. think it does take people within that organization to be brave enough to spot where things aren't being done well enough and to be able to raise it, whether that's around gender or other things. So yeah, I think around a lot of these things, if you want to drive change, you need people who are passionate about uh, doing that Uh, to make it happen because so often especially when it's things on behalf of minority groups they have to get done by the minorities and that's Mm. just a really kind of poor pattern that we see and as well written about in terms of the amount of uh, non-paid work that minorities do to fight their causes in order to drive change but that's just what we need to do to be able to actually uh, kind of stand Mm. up and be proud about where you end up getting to so i think we're all on that journey. I think it's great that it's more kind of widely talked about across all of those different areas that you said, Chris. Um, but, you know, even in the last year, the things that got talked about and it just bubbled up that actually companies aren't, they still aren't doing enough, or we as a society mm. as well aren't, aren't necessarily doing enough. And I think whilst those conversations can be painful for people to hear and they sometimes feel like, why are we still beating this drum? We don't need to, until there's equality. quality we always need to beat the drum is sort of my point of view on that. I don't know what you both think as people in different, especially you, Sam, in, in, in your agency, uh, kind of what mm. your, your workers are saying about that.
0: Well, I mean, uh, to be honest, I guess the level I'm at, I, I can't have much an opinion on it because I, it's so you know I work with different people uh, we have no full time staff so there's you, you, there's no consistency and and you're constantly working with different people so unfortunately I can't I can't speak so much about about that but i i agree with what you're saying and um i i i try within within my power i try and do as much as i can to have diversity play a part in in what i can do but i guess what i'm saying is because i don't have a workforce to help shape the hearts and minds of those people there's there's only so much my reach can go but i do what i can essentially is what i'm saying i i had a question around i it's it's this annoying question that we're probably going to be asking for the next year but around with regards to um, remote working and and things like that now has the challenge become harder for you to influence and and make the changes that you want to Mm. because I have the feeling like like the the having a, a, a connection with those people around you whether it's you're speaking on stage or or getting a, and running coding workshops and various things like that that physical interaction is probably a very powerful thing has have you have you had to adjust or shape or 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 change any, you know anything and like what challenges did you kind of overcome there or figure out that potentially we could learn from as well like ha, have you seen any any change there at all
1: and, and do you mean specifically around And she Can or just more generally in terms of driving change? And She change? Can specifically. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, they're both doing it, right? And She Can's driving change. But yeah, more specifically with And She Can, yeah. how, how have things changed since now we're all a bit more disparate?
1: Yeah. So I, th- I think with any, you know, the whole online events industry is fundamentally needed to change as we've gone through the pandemic. And I think loads of people have done things really effectively. And I think some of it's been really challenging mm. and actually some of it's been a huge opportunity, not least to reach loads of people in the comfort of their own homes when they otherwise wouldn't be able to. And if we're thinking of the audience for And She Can, we're hoping that that will be a massive advantage for the series that we're running this time around because they're smaller, bite-sized pieces across the month of July. And ideally, they will reach more people because people won't have mm-hmm. to travel. They won't be prohibited by the cost of that travel. So yeah, I'm hoping it will lead to more things in terms of how far we can reach. Um, but in terms of that um, fe- effectiveness of inspiring people, again, I think we, I think we all feared that in the beginning. And I don't know how you you both felt in terms of working online and would you have been as effective but I think as we've all got more used to it you just deal with what you've got and as long as you've got people who are being authentic in the room I think they can do a really good job of it but I you know I can't deny that there's little bits of magic that you lose from not being in the room together you know whether it's that kind of thing you never thought of or you have that quite um, you know uh, kinetic feeling when you meet someone you've got a connection with that you can't replicate online Um, so yeah Mm. there'll be things that are lost but I think there's also things that are gained
0: yeah I think to answer your question around being fearful so I actually started my company thinking right I want to be a remote first agency thinking everything remote and we went out and looked for tools that would help us do the job and and discovered things like Miro where there's a collaboration aspect Um, you know I discovered things like Figma which is a design tool and various so I went into it Probably a year too early. The only thing I couldn't do or found it quite difficult to do is actually strike deals having not met the person because to get a piece of work in, you know, Go, coffee, go for coffee with them, talk to them, sit with them, take them through their problem and all the, all the kind of rest of it. So then, you know, the, the the ambition of being a remote first agency kind of faded and then coronavirus kicks in and now it's the only way to do deals. <laughs> so actually, it's we, we're a little slightly a little bit too early when it comes to, you know, the remote. First thing, but I I certainly think it's helped us now because we're we're set up now that everything's kind of automated, it's from it's it's collaborative, which is essential now. So yeah, curve. I don't know. I mean just ahead of that's basically <laughs> what I'm saying. That's basically what I'm trying to get at.
1: I fundamentally love the fact that you can host a workshop and then it's already written up.
0: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and it's probably gonna get more and more powerful now and it's uh like searching as well and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's exciting, it's an exciting world we live in. So I was
2: going to I was going um, to ask whether you know you thought there that needed to be any any specific trigger points because obviously there's been various trigger points I suppose for uh, gender equality over the last few years I suppose especially with the Me Too movement and things like that do do you think the the Me Too movement had an impact in technology or do you think there are other particular trigger points I suppose even actually uh, you know people like Hillary Clinton running for president. you know d- over the last decade there's been a number of various triggers other and and actually and uh, to a degree you, you have to have some sort of a negative response to you know drive change i suppose um a dissatisfaction as a trigger point to driving change um are there any other th- other than the ones i've mentioned that you think have, uh, have jumped out to you or do you think that me too in particular has has been a thing that's um that's helped to drive some change
1: i think before me too lots of people within the technology industry were very aware of the lack of diversity mm. and were already doing a lot of things in in that space or at least trying to campaign to drive the change but i think what's interesting about me too is obviously because it's you know cross cross world it's global mm. it becomes the part of everyone's conversation so in terms of that changing hearts and minds that you guys were pointing to it becomes slightly easier or slightly higher on people's uh, agenda or at least understanding of why it's being mm. brought onto the agenda because it's suddenly, you know, everywhere. It's not just an industry or an organisation problem. It's fundamentally a problem that we have um, in society. So, yeah, a bit of a depressing trigger. Uh, mm. But, yeah, I think it probably helped to yeah, raise the need for those conversations to still be happening. I think what's going to be fascinating is post-pandemic, will there be another trigger once we sort of see the aftermath of the impact that's had on uh, females at work? And mm-hmm. um, there's been so much, again, sort of early stage data to show the impact that it's had um, in terms of the homeschooling aspect and having to take up so much more of that. And that typically does port a female based on some of the evidence. I, I wonder if that will be a secondary trigger sort of this time next year mm-hmm. when we've actually – got a lay of the land and see what what impact it's really had
2: yeah it'll mm. be interesting to see the impact certainly but again something we can't really predict like the uh, like the pandemic response <laughs>
0: yeah. is it just within our digital and she can is or are you looking for support or anything externally whether it getting involved in anchican or whether it's seeking you out and picking your brain about how they could potentially change things in their workplace like what how can we influence externally if that yeah. makes
1: sense yeah yeah no i love that question um i suppose for this year anchican is certainly something an initiatives that's being run by andies so people who work for and digital But the ambition for the reach is absolutely way beyond and digital, i.e. targeting kind of all young females or career switches potentially to choose um, a career in technology. But I think, yeah, anyone who's interested in that subject and either wants to talk about it or get involved in trying to amp out how we reach even more people across schools, universities, or people who are considering a change in their career, yeah, I would absolutely welcome a conversation and love to hear from them. Uh, because I do think the network effect is what can drive this sort of change sooner and just make people aware of the resources that are available to them. Because Unshy is just one area where you can uh, learn about what it is to be in technology. But there are lots of companies running other really great initiatives as well. And it's just about finding out where those resources are and which one is best suited to you, I think.
0: And and also, it would be interesting to see how that the approach that you have, how that might translate to other initiatives. I, I can't think off the top of my head what those initiatives might be, but there could be some interesting collaboration or crossover there. And you found that X works really well in in promoting a certain thing. I don't know, but um, that could be quite interesting. So so how can these people get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just just via LinkedIn would be great um so i'm antonia Walt.
0: you can also get in
2: touch uh, we can forward messages on if you want to get in touch with uh, that tech show directly as well um as well as reaching out on linkedin of course
1: yeah fabulous and
2: um, i'm conscious that we're uh running out of time i suppose uh with you today so um
1: that was uh, i was so lovely to chat to you both and to see you it
2: was great well thank you very much for being on the show
1: no my absolute pleasure